0: For the past few years, experts have criticized and defended the use of race in calculating an important number for people with kidney disease, the Estimated Glomerular Filtration Rate, EGFR. As a Black woman who has lived with kidney disease for decades, I learned the hard way that race should not be part of the equation. For most of my life, I've self-identified as a Black person, So I was more than a little surprised in 2016 when a DNA analysis from Ancestry.com said that I had only 48% African ancestry. Technically then, using the non-black EGFR would have been more appropriate for me. More to the point, identifying as not black would have helped me get on the kidney transplant list sooner.
1: That was Glenda Roberts reading from her first opinion essay entitled, Had I Done Ancestry.com Sooner, I Could Have Gotten a Kidney Transplant Two Years Earlier. She's the director of external relations and patient engagement for the University of Washington's Kidney Research Institute. Joining us is Vanessa Grubbs, a kidney specialist and associate professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, who has been an advocate for eliminating the use of race in kidney testing. I'll bring you our conversation after a word from our sponsor.
0: Hi, I'm Angus McCauley, Chief Operating Officer at STAT. I'm here with Debbie Donovan, Global Head of Environment, Health, and Safety at Takeda Pharmaceuticals. Debbie, I've heard Takeda has made some bold environmental commitments. What are a few steps that the company is taking to reduce its environmental impact?
2: Thanks, Angus. Takeda is dedicated to bringing life-transforming treatments to patients around the globe while working to create a more sustainable future. Last year, we became a carbon-neutral business. We focused on internal energy conservation measures and the use of green energy. We also invested in renewable energy certificates and high-quality verified carbon offsets. Still, we know there's more to do. Takeda is committed to being net zero by 2040 and working to reach goals we've set in the areas of water, waste, and product stewardship. We're actively collaborating with industry groups to reduce our environmental impact by doing things like improving the recyclability of packaging and devices. We'll continue our efforts to mitigate environmental impact to create better health for people and a brighter future for the world.
0: Thanks, Debbie. For more information, visit Takeda.com. That's T-A-K-E-D-A dot com.
1: Welcome to the First Opinion Podcast. I'm Pat Scarrett, editor of First Opinion, stats platform for articles written by biotech insiders, healthcare workers, researchers, and others with interesting or illuminating or provocative perspectives to share about the life sciences writ large. It's great to talk with you both, Glenda and Vanessa.
2: Thank you, Patrick. Thank you so much.
1: So, in addition to your work on kidney disease, each of you has a very personal connection with kidney disease that has a direct bearing on our conversation today. If it's okay with you, I'd like to start with your stories. Glenda, you wrote that you've been living with kidney disease for some time. When did you learn you have it?
0: I was just out of college, 21 years old, and I was applying for my first job. Back in the olden days, you had to actually get a physical before you could get a job. And when I went for the physical, they told me that I had too much protein in my urine and Shell all Company said they would not be able to hire me. Obviously that was devastating. My mother sent me to a urologist because we didn't know about nephrologists back in the olden days. <laughs> and he said that he was not able to duplicate the tests. He recommended that as soon as Shell hired me, because he was going to write a letter saying I can't get the same results. But as soon as Shell hired me, he asked me to start dialysis. And when I asked him what dialysis was, he really didn't do a very good job of explaining it because you know, at that time, doctors told you what to do and they just expected you to do it. i just graduated from college, so I thought I knew everything. And I said, hmm, that doesn't sound like something I wanna do, what are my other options? And he said, you can try diet and exercise, but that usually doesn't work for people. But for more than 40 years, I used diet and exercise to slow the progression of my kidney disease. My brother, who was also diagnosed at the exact same age, decided that he would go on dialysis. And he lived on dialysis for more than 22 years.
1: Wow. So when did things change for you?
0: In 2010. I had just gone to the nephrologist two weeks earlier, and I thought I had developed the flu because I really felt bad. As a side note, my son went to my husband and said i think we need to take her to the hospital because she's had on the same clothes for three days (laughs) (laughs) and so they did they took me to the hospital and realized that i had kidney failure my nephrologist came in my creatinine level was 17 which is like off the charts and he said we can't wait any longer we're going to have to start dialysis but i was already in the transplant workup process and i really wanted to avoid that because the data had shown me that people who didn't go on dialysis had better success with their transplants
1: interesting had in in the whole course of your your odyssey here had had your race ever come in as something to be mentioned in terms of how you were being managed
0: No, absolutely not. You know, because this started for me back in the 70s, race wasn't a factor. And for many years, I wasn't referred to a nephrologist. And when I finally was referred to a nephrologist, it had been a factor for them for more than five or six years. So they just took it for granted and never discussed it with me. And at that time, they didn't show you your labs. They told you what your numbers were. So I didn't realize that there were two EGFR numbers on the lab report.
1: So Vanessa, you're a kidney specialist, a nephrologist. You weren't personally diagnosed with kidney disease, but came to living with it another way. Can you describe that?
2: Sure. Uh, When I was a primary care physician, had just come out of training, I met my now husband who had been on dialysis for five, almost six years at the time. And really, it was through him that I got a much more up-close-and-personal look at what life is like for someone on dialysis. Uh, He was young, only 26, um, when he started dialysis. Through our relationship, I went with him to his uh, transplant evaluation appointment. Supposedly, he was getting closer to the top of the, the wait list. And even though I was a primary care doctor, I was completely oblivious to Uh, any of the detail about what happens uh, for kidney transplant. And when I went with him, I was really surprised and dismayed, really, at um, the system practices that were in place that, to me, uh, obviously, would lead to the disparities by race in access to kidney transplant that we observe.
1: Like what sorts of things are you talking about?
2: Well, I wrote a, a piece about it that was published in Health Affairs I want to say that was in 2007 um, and got me in a, quite a bit of trouble that I didn't know about until I was trying <laughs> to get a job, but oh well. Uh, so it, there were just things like uh, I could tell that um, the the transplant nephrologist there was making broad assumptions about uh, race in terms of Black people and what immunosuppressants would work for them. Um, it seemed like everyone that came to us was trying to talk my uh, then boyfriend out of a, a transplant. And all of that really uh, made me want to not only get him out of that system, but also do something for everyone else that uh, didn't have any options but to be in the on the waiting list for kidney transplant. So for him, I donated one of my kidneys. Wow. And that was 16 years ago, this past April. And, uh, you know, the hospital course was a bit bumpy. But since we left the hospital, he has not required any dialysis and uh, doing great. And I'm doing great.
1: So what parts of each other's experience do you recognize?
2: So I would say that the part I, um, most related to was really in terms of my husband's experience, even though he was in the care of a neph- nephrologist, no one had, um, talked to him about what it would feel like when your body needed dialysis. And he also ended up, um, uh, ended up in the emergency room having to start dialysis in like an, an emergency situation which is not ideal um but also he even though he had been in the care of nephrologists no one had talked to him about transplant as a potential option for his treatment really really yeah and it w- he was on dialysis for more than a year when he asked the uh, his nephrologist at that time Uh, what about transplant as an option? And that person said, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, no, that would be a great idea. And let me refer you. So it really just shows the deep, deep flaws within medicine in general and the kidney transplant process uh, specifically, because, um, you know, there's just so much room for human
0: Uh, interpretation and human error. You know, Vanessa, you make a really interesting point that I had forgotten. And that is throughout my career, even though I worked for the Fortune 100, actually the Fortune 15 companies, I always had great insurance. Nobody ever bothered to do a biopsy to understand the cause of my kidney disease. As I said, my younger brother was on dialysis. My father was diagnosed with kidney disease. So you would have thought that some professional would have said, we should do a biopsy to figure out what this is. And at the time, I didn't even know a biopsy was an option, or I clearly would have asked for one. And that's an example of where I think And everybody knew I had a great job, so it wasn't a question of insurance coverage. But I think that that is a bias that we see in the healthcare system, that they don't recommend certain procedures for certain patients, and we need to do better. So let's let's foray
1: into the technical part of this conversation about the use of race in calculating an important measure in medicine called the Estimated Glomerular Function, or EGFR. Vanessa, what is this measure, and what's it used to determine or predict?
2: Well, basically, it's an equation that we use to estimate how well the kidneys are functioning, how uh, much of our blood uh, the kidneys are filtering every minute of every day. So um, often, physicians will talk about this in terms of a percentage, but in truth, this The measure is how many milliliters per minute um, are your kidneys filtering. And we use that to, uh, one, give a sense of prognosis in terms of um, what we expect for a person in in terms of progression of their kidney disease, as well as um, when we expect to see um, problems from kidney failure, when people can no longer... Uh, the kidneys can no longer do uh, certain functions like uh, manage the electrolytes properly, or I, I don't want to get too complicated, but uh, but um, basically, and it's used for a lot of things like determining if certain medications are safe to give, if um, the dose needs to be adjusted for the person's kidney failure. And most... Um, Oh, it also uh, has to do with our recommendations for when a person needs to be in a nephrologist specialty care, as well as when uh, a patient is um, eligible to be referred to be considered for a kidney transplant and be placed on the waiting list.
1: So as I understand it, the higher your EGFR, the better. Exactly. Has race always been part of the calculation?
2: No. um, Exactly as uh, Glenda brought up, these equations weren't, um, developed until 1999. That was when the first equation was developed. And when I was in medical school back in the day, uh, these, these, uh, equations did not exist to get the, the best estimate is through like research procedures where a person has to have blood and urine tests every hour on the hour for a full day. So none of that is, uh, feasible in the day-to-day clinical world. So this is the reason why these equations were developed in the first place. And of course, the intention was to get the very best estimate that we could to um, make our clinical decisions. But um, the, the issue is, is when the original researchers for the 1999 um, publication developed uh, the study, uh, there were it was uh, made up of only black and white participants, and they decided to include uh, black race as a factor in uh, things that might affect how much the body produced creatinine, the particular uh, protein that they um, that we measure, um, how much the body produced that, or how well the kidneys got rid of that. So, and in their equation development, they included lots of different markers but of note they were all biological markers except for this notion of black race but they had no real explanation for why black people might um have a difference in kidney function and kind of after the fact they they made the statement that black people had higher muscle mass uh than white people and which was really not based on studies that had much to do with the muscle mass or uh certainly weren't uh repeated and validated and all that kind of thing and when the when that group went on to make an even better uh equation that was a bit more diverse in terms of it it included what I call a smattering of Asian and hispanic people um, they started with considering Black race versus everyone else. So really that set up the entire uh, uh, analysis to suggest that Black people and only Black people have different uh, kidney function than every other human on the planet. And these things weren't widely in use until I want to say 2005 is when laboratories started reporting this uh, in the results that they just give to clinicians. Otherwise, you had to calculate it yourself. So um, in 2005, they started doing the math for us. And that's when they separated it out by if black or if not black.
1: How someone's race is determined for the EGFR seems to be pretty nebulous. Exactly. You wrote last year in a perspective essay for the Clinical Journal of the American Society of Nephrology, nephrology being the study of kidney disease, quote, no matter if one is 51%, 78%, or 22.56% of a race, a simple yes or no for if black appears to be all the precision we need. Glenda, you ran across that in a very personal way when you submitted a sample to Ancestry.com. Can you
0: tell us about that? Sure. My husband and I were fascinated by the possibility of understanding more about our ethnic background. And so we both submitted the uh, sample to Ancestry DNA, and we were shocked when we got the results that suggested that I was only 48% African ancestry, because clearly by looking at me, you would not assume that I was only 48%. Now, the interesting thing about those numbers is that more, as more and more people join the Ancestry database, you find that the mix changes. But but I haven't gotten more African. I've gotten more European. And we have an inside joke at my house about why that probably is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And can you share that inside joke
0: with us? Sure. Because my descendants are African and they were slaves, it's clear that not only were the slave masters active with my ancestors, but also the Native Americans were active with my ancestors. And as a result, so I'm a mix of a whole bunch of different things.
1: Interesting.
2: That, that was a lovely, very PC answer, Glenda, because <laughs> I would have just said,
0: because slavery. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> You're right, because slavery.
1: Yeah. So if you had had those Ancestry.com results back when you were crashing in a sense and needed a transplant. Um, Could you have skipped the if black box? And what would that have done for you on the transplant uh, evaluation or transplant list?
0: So that's a tricky answer. One, I would not have self-identified as black if I had understood that being black meant that I would wait approximately two years longer in order to qualify to be on the transplant list. I would have said not black. <laughs> but I think the other part of it is, and we need to be transparent about this, is that often healthcare providers look at a person and make the determination for you about what you are. And so even if I had selected not black, other people might have decided that I was black. And you know, I would have fought the battle because I don't mind having a little tough one here and there. But clearly the healthcare professionals looking at me and still today they record a X year old African American woman without asking me at all whether or not I consider myself to be an African-American woman. So I think it's a problem that we need to bring to people's attention, not only to healthcare providers, but also to patients so that they can advocate for themselves.
1: You're talking about having real conversations with your physicians, which doesn't always happen.
0: Well, Vanessa and I have talked about that quite often. I happen to believe that I am a domain expert when it comes to the lived experience of a person with kidney disease. And I believe that my experience and my insight about what I have lived through should help inform any decisions that my physician and I make together about what my care should be. I think patients all of the time have experiences throughout their day that they don't share with their healthcare provider that might help the healthcare provider make a better decision if they had that information. So I think it's incumbent on patients to share the information, but it's equally important for doctors to make sure that they are creating an environment where patients feel safe and comfortable sharing that information.
1: Vanessa, how does Glenda's story resonate with your thinking and and the work you've been doing on the EGFR and other race-based measures in medicine?
2: Well, I think there's there's a lot of misunderstanding and misnomers um, about what actually happens and what all these various numbers mean. Um, As I was saying earlier, it was not a part of my medical training. So when I uh, started my nephrology fellowship in 2007, uh, this was presented to me as, okay, we have these equations and race um, factors into it because uh, we think Black people have higher muscle mass. So that was when I started having a problem with the uh, race correction. And uh, since that time, I've been talking about it, writing about it. And I am personally just thrilled that it has uh gained this national attention over the past couple of years. however, um the fact that it existed in the first place is a is a problem that no one seems to want to address and uh I think Linda is exactly right in terms of how um uh doctors just pretty much look at a patient and and uh decide what their race is and 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 how they're going to treat them based upon that. Like I wrote in that piece, it, it really didn't matter. It pretty much, if the doctor thought you were black, you were black. Or if you self-identified as black, then, you know, that's black enough. It, which I always thought was ridiculous because nephrology is a, is a field of equations. Like there's an equation to calculate everything to two and three decimal places. But when it comes to race, uh, you know, if you think you're black, that's black enough. You know, I, I have my own personal uh, beef about Ancestry.com and the the way we conflate what, um, what they're measuring and what ancestry is and what race is and all of these things. Um, but all of it tries to suggest that there's something biological, that there's some biological meaning behind it, which is, in truth, based upon this Ideology, and I'm not—I'm not as PC as Glenda is. It's—it's it's all based upon white supremacy, where there's been this legacy of trying to prove and trying to justify uh, the mistreatment, the enslavement, and et cetera, et cetera, of black people. Because if—if if you can prove, so to speak, that black people are inherently different/slash inferior, then you—you were supposed to enslave them. Because how else were they going to survive? The other point that I want to make is that uh, where it really makes a difference, this uh, race correction, is not when someone needs to start dialysis, because in truth, the EGFR at that point is down to five, between five and eight, whereas you can get on the kidney transplant waiting list at an EGFR of 20. That's where it saves you the time.
1: Glenda, was the receipt of the results from Ancestry.com, did that Push you on a trajectory to start looking at the connection between race and kidney disease, or had that already been on your radar before?
0: Actually, I had started working uh, in this area as a patient advocate, so I was I was cognizant of the fact that there were more Black people in the dialysis center than anybody else, and so I found that curious, and I wondered why. What was it that caused more black people to show up for dialysis. And so technically no to answer your question, but just observing my environment made me wonder what it was that was causing that problem. And you know, I had always been raised to believe that I was as good or I was as good as or better than most people. So clearly it could not be that there was a genetic problem with me.
1: You know, I understand that things are changing, at least for the EGFR, and I believe that medical students actually have spearheaded a move to change this, even though, Vanessa, people like you have been talking about it for quite some time. Um, My colleague, Ike Swetlitz, back in 2016, wrote a story for STAT about how students at the University of Minnesota... We're taking a long, hard look at this. So, in what ways it it sounds like their uh advocacy has helped move the needle forward, which you can't always you can't always say that about medical students.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. And you know, I, I say this is why multi-generational approach is so important. And the generation of medical students that we are seeing now. They're asked their opinion and they're being taught all of this and they speak up. Back in the day, when I was a medical student, you did what you were told and shut up about it, right? It was, uh, young, uh, physicians, resident physicians that said, we, um, would like your help in trying to take this action. And I immediately jumped on it. But at the same time, I was a little embarrassed that, you know, my, It hadn't occurred to my old lady mind to do something more than (laughs) write and talk about it as an individual. And I say it's really important to have the multigenerational aspect because even though they, they have the passion, they have more time, they have the energy, you know, they're medical students. So they didn't necessarily have all the information, all the
0: knowledge, all the clinical expertise. You know, I'd like to actually disagree with Vanessa on that. I think that Vanessa was the point of the spear because I know a lot of nephrologists who've talked about this in quiet tones, you know, in closed meetings and in little groups. Vanessa's been very outspoken. She's written a lot about it. And I think that the new medical students are reading more, they're questioning more. But the reason they're doing that is because I think all of us know of some publication that Vanessa has produced. So I'm going to give her a nod, okay? (laughs) I'll give you a nod on that, Vanessa. I do think that you're a leader in this area. And I think you've taken a lot of spheres as a result of it. Girl. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: For sure. But, you know, that's okay.
1: So, Glenda, I think you're one of the leaders, too, because you were one of two patients to be on a national... Uh, task force that was brought together in 2020 to look at this whole situation. What did the task force find?
0: Well, we made the decision that it was not appropriate to have race included in the EGFR equation. We came together initially, and I've got to admit, I was apprehensive because even though we were a well-represented group in terms of the different races in the U.S. We had wildly disparate opinions about what was appropriate to do. And and I worried that we were not going to be able to get to a point where we could reach an agreement that it was appropriate to remove race. And we spent a lot of time first- positioning ourselves in terms of this is my position and this is why and this is the impact that it has if you do this or you don't do it. We came together when we made the decision to identify, after we interviewed a number of experts, we made a list of evidence and the appropriate values. And that really helped us build consensus because even though we had different views about whether or not black people especially would be adversely impacted by removing or retaining race. Agreeing on the evidence and the values helped us find common ground that then led us to a process where we agreed that we wanted to find a formula that would work, that would be evidence-based, but that would also represent a just and equitable approach to evaluating EGFR.
1: So Glenda, you closed your first opinion essay with these words from Maya Angelou, quote, I did then what I knew how to do. Now that I know better, I do better. Are both your fingers crossed that physicians will follow the do better part of that?
0: Well, I have been encouraged because I've got to tell you, when we published our report, I expected it to hit the fan. And surprisingly, many of the people that, even in my own organization that I had argued with before we published our report, were supportive of the recommendation. Now, I think that the National Kidney Foundation has started the work to educate the community about the decisions that we made and why we made those decisions and which formulas we looked at to decide that this was the best recommendation. And also why it was important to validate what you find with a Cystatin C test. And that's a whole different conversation, different biomarker. So I think that education will go on. And, and you know, Martin Luther King always says that the moral arc is long and it bends towards justice. I think that's true. But I think that it's important for people to do the work to achieve the justice. And so now we're at the point where as a community of not only nephrologists and primary care physicians and patients, we need to do the work to make sure that these formulas are adopted. And if a patient goes to a doctor who is not using a non-race-based formula, they should push back and they should push back hard because maybe that's not the doctor for you.
2: I think I have a little bit of a different view of it. Uh, it, it Call me a negative Nancy, but uh, it's probably one of the reasons I, I wasn't selected to be on this task force in the first place. But, um, Vanessa,
0: we did I, invite you to be an expert. You did testify before us. Mm, mm-hmm. I'm not blaming you, Miss Glenda. Okay, I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, don't act like we ignored you because we did include you. Oh, I
2: shall not be ignored. I think that's Indeed. a line from uh, uh, Fatal Attraction or something. <laughs> not that I'm that character. But anyway, I digress. Uh, I, one, I think um it, I thought it was pretty shameful that we needed a task force for this in the first place. And for, I mean, I don't even know how many hours they spent and how many people they talked to. And I mean, I, you know, it, it's, it's nice to involve a patient voice, but never, ever in our history have we ever asked patients to uh evaluate scientific data it it's just ridiculous and i feel like in part it was a way to kind of for the critics to hide behind well you know we we have to have the patient voice we have to consider what patients want when in truth patients don't want to be sick <laughs> they want whatever uh thing is going to say that they're they're doing better and um and even though I'm glad that they came to this decision, I was worried for a while um because I have personally engaged with a lot of the foremost critics. Uh, I still see people, you know, on social media talking about what a shame it is. Nephrologists talking about what a shame it is that we're no longer using race correction because of all of these unintended consequences. So there is, you know, there's a substantial group that believes it was the right thing to do in the first place. They believe it was valid in the first place. And so they can only talk about the problems of not doing it. So yes, People need to do the work, but people have to acknowledge their their issues first,
0: and I don't think that has happened. So I disagree with Vanessa just a little bit, and that is that I do think it was important to have patients involved. I don't think that they were willy-nilly in the patients that they chose. Part of the reason they chose me is, one, because I'm very outspoken, but also I have a degree in mathematics. So I was able to evaluate and understand the equations that we were looking at. I also think that it's important to have patients involved because we should be treated as equal partners in this process because we are the ones that are adversely impacted. So when we had nephrologists that were arguing that, well, if we remove race, that means that Black people won't be able to get certain drugs for as long, I pushed back hard and said, well maybe the reason we have so many black people crashing into dialysis is because we're giving them those drugs too long, because perhaps this is not the appropriate kidney function for them. So I, I while I generally agree with Vanessa on this particular point, I think it was crucial to have patients represented because at the end of the day it impacts us and we ought to be able to be heard in the discussion.
2: I do hear you on that. I hear you on that, Glinda. And at the same time, most of our patients aren't math majors. (laughs) And um, my larger point is, of course, a patient voice is important in everything that we do, except we've never asked patients before to help us determine if scientific data is valid or not. Scientists did that.
0: But, you know, I think you make an interesting (laughs) point. We have never (laughs) asked them before, but we've also always let scientists determine what the formula should be. And we end up with a formula that includes race because a bunch of scientists said that we should. Touché, <laughs> touché. You
1: know, I am, I am so bummed that we have a hard stop today because I think we could go for another half hour between you two going back and forth here. <laughs> Glenda and Vanessa, thank you both for the work you're doing in this area. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today.
0: Thank you for the opportunity.
1: Yes. So
2: um, I'm really thrilled to be a part of this and so happy that you all are bringing more attention to this issue.
1: Thank you for listening to the First Opinion podcast. It's produced by Teresa Gaffney. Alyssa Ambrose is the senior producer and Rick Burke is the executive producer. I love to hear from listeners let me know which first opinion contributors you'd like to hear on the show or what topics the podcast should take on you can do that by sending an email to first.opinion@statnews.com. at and if you have a minute please leave a review or rating on whichever platform you use to get your podcasts that's it for now be well during this strange and uncertain time